0: Welcome to the BSDcast of Power Systems Design. I'm your host, Jason Lumberg, and in today's episode, we're talking about a different topic than normal. We're discussing the devastating impact of Hurricane Maria on the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico. uh, With us today is uh, Tom Lewis, the President of the U.S. Division of uh, Lewis Berger, a global professional professional services corporation that assisted in the aftermath of this unprecedented uh, humanitarian crisis. Recently, a leading analytics firm predicted that Maria could cost Puerto Rico upwards of $95 billion, while more conservative estimates still peg it in the $30 billion range. But the real damage is the aforementioned humanitarian crisis. A month after the tropical storm hit Puerto Rico, more than 80% of its residents were still without power. And unfortunately, the human toll stands at more than 50 people thus far. Since this horrible natural disaster, Uh, Lewis Berger has deployed more than 300 staff and independent contractors to support the first responders and government agencies on the ground, and they've since helped manage the overall emergency response and recovery mission. And one of their initial efforts involved shipping 200 commercial power generators to help with the nation's ailing infrastructure. So, uh, Tom, welcome to the show. Obviously, I wish we could speak under better circumstances, but could you give our listeners some brief background on uh, Lewis Berger? Certainly. Yeah, Louis Berger is a
1: US based company that's a bit unique in that it actually became internationally prominent before it became prominent in the US. Uh, We've been around about 65 years, and the first half of that uh, history at Louis Berger was focused largely on working in uh, developing countries in particular, places that other US based companies uh, did not want to go because of. The lack of uh, security or amenities. Uh, and and Louis Berger rapidly gained a, a reputation for being the U.S. company that's willing to go wherever our clients need us to go, no matter how difficult and even in some cases, no matter how dangerous the situation. And as such, uh, the U.S. government, uh, many branches of the U.S. government, are our core clients. Uh, we also do work for state and local governments and the commercial sector and we are a full service uh professional service firm uh engineering was our core uh, but then since then, we've become a full project and construction management company as well as uh technical consulting in, in uh areas such as economics um sciences heritage resources um architecture and many other disciplines mm
0: mm-hmm. and, and obviously our, our our nations um our Our publication's background is in power engineering and uh, maintaining a secure power infrastructure is one of the cornerstones of a functioning society. Um, So prior to Maria, what were some of the company's key accomplishments in the realm of power management?
1: Yeah, I mentioned uh, that we do a lot of work with the federal government, and and that includes military agencies. So, for example, uh, we hold multiple contracts with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and these contracts are on call type contracts where we have to be available to the military anytime there's a, a need, whether that be a natu- natural disaster or it could be a conflict, a military conflict. And so we've uh, been deployed by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers in both types of situations. Uh, some examples of where we've been deployed uh, for the power mission would be American Samoa when it got hit by the tsunami. A few years ago, we were deployed there. Um, We've also been deployed in areas of conflict, as I said, places like Afghanistan and Iraq, where we provide power to forward operations of the military when they're way outside of an existing power grid. So we will be with the Army and the military as, in essence, their their power company, right alongside uh, with them in forward operating base settings.
0: Right. Now... Most of our listeners have only seen media coverage of the aftermath of Maria. Can you give some initial impressions of what your people saw when they arrived in Puerto Rico?
1: Well, we actually arrived in Puerto Rico before the first storm, in fact, before Irma, uh, because the Army Corps knew of the, the power grid and its existing condition and susceptibility to power outages. They actually did something that's fairly uh, unique, and they actually uh, committed us to travel ahead of the storm. So we were on the ground before Irma hit, and then after Irma left, we started doing immediate assessments. But then, as you know, Maria was right on Irma's heels, so we had to hunker down along with the the residents of Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands, and we waited for Maria to pass. And then after Maria left, the infrastructure on the island was completely nonfunctional, um, and to this day, it's still very spotty, but in the immediate aftermath, it was completely nonfunctional, and that ran across all aspects of the infrastructure, power, of course, uh, but also transportation access, water, sanitary sewer systems, uh, communication was particularly bad, and again, to this day, it's still very spotty, making it very difficult. To, to do anything there, whether it be emergency response, life safety type activities and missions, or getting to the business of, of recovering the infrastructure. All of it was, mm-hmm. was very difficult.
0: Mm-hmm. So you experienced Maria r- right alongside the locals. Um, why did Maria leave so many without power? If, if, if you could provide insight on that, was it the scope of the storm? Uh, was it their infrastructure? Uh, was it some accommodation? It was definitely a combination. The fact that you had some components
1: of of the power infrastructure system there that were already old and were under-maintained because of the financial situation that the local utility prepper was in. You had a lot of deferred maintenance, for example, things like cutting back the trees in the vicinity of transmission lines and distribution lines. That just made the system that much more vulnerable to even a, a moderate storm. But the fact that Maria was such a severe storm just made the damage truly unprecedented.
0: Mm -hmm. And your press release had mentioned that Louis Berger was working with with, uh, several government agencies and um, partners on sustainable power solutions for Puerto Puerto Rico, including cleaner natural gas, solar, battery storage, and microgrid technologies. Um, Could you describe the scope of this work? and What are the short and long-term goals behind these efforts?
1: Yeah, in the short term, which we refer to as the response phase that occurs immediately after a disaster, you focus mostly on conventional uh, emergency generation. So you bring in typically diesel-powered generators, and you identify what are the most critical facilities, whether they be hospitals or schools or local governmental agencies, um, the port, the airport, etc., and you prioritize, and then you bring in generators and you install them uh, at those critical facilities, and you stay there with them and operate them, maintain them, keep them fueled uh, until the need has passed or until maybe the need has passed for that location once they're reconnected to the grid, but then maybe others still are in need and you may move, move those generators to another location. And typically that phase of, of the work, that response phase, is in the order of a few weeks and maybe a month or two, in this case, that phase will be more prolonged because of the severity of of the damage and and the fact that the system was already uh, very susceptible and vulnerable due to its its not being completely maintained the way most uh, utility systems would be if they weren't undergoing financial difficulties. So that that means that the the long-term recovery phase uh, that follows the response phase, will we'll come later than we typically see it. But that pivot from the short-term to the longer-term is about to start occurring. And it doesn't occur all at once. Uh, and the goals are very different. The uh, short-term response phase, the goals are life safety and, and the basics, getting people the basics so they can have minimum functionality, at least, in, in their communities. Right. The longer-term is to bring it back to at least the level that they had before the storm, and if it's done well, actually to bring it back to a better level uh, than they had before the storm. And that's the difference between a really well-run recovery program and not as well-run recovery programs where they're only focused on doing it fast and getting back exactly what was there before, which is, which is the federal government's role is to at least finance that much. but. If you can bring in other aspects of of the technologies, of financial resources, even involving the non-government organizations, and charitable organizations, uh, and have a truly holistic, blended recovery, you truly can uh, build back much better, more resilient, even more more green and sustainable than what you had prior.
0: Right, and 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 as you just mentioned, that this is where sustainable technologies might come in. Um, to focus specifically on, on them, how could the sustainable technologies um, in the future help mitigate the humanitarian damage of future natural disasters? I mean, we've all, we've all prayed for more reliable and uninterruptible power systems. At one point or another, we've lost power and said, where is the UPS? Why is it not working? Well, let's take it one step further beyond just making sure the power doesn't go out. How can these new technologies help buffer Puerto Rico's power infrastructure?
1: Yeah, when you look at, at renewable technologies such as solar or wind are, the, are the, the ones most people know, but you also have things like biomass and geothermal, other types of renewable technologies. And if you could blend them in with uh, the conventional diesel backup generators and uh, connect it in a way that when the, the regular power grid is functioning, you can tap into it, of course, and use it. But then when it's not, these other technologies can kick in. That gives you redundancy. Uh, And and by redundancy, you you therefore get more resilience so that you either don't go out of power at all or you're only out of power for a very short period of time while the, the other systems are kicking in. And when you look at things like power and wind, some of the challenges, it's not always windy and it's not always sunny. But if you then tie in things like battery storage, Uh, or microgrids even. You pull all these different sources together into a microgrid, or it could even be a set of microgrids in a community or uh, the area surrounding a critical facility. It can become an island of power when the whole grid goes out, a place where the community can be safe, a place where you can go to recharge your your cellular phone, uh, get cool, get warm, get some food, uh, and be connected. Uh, So it's, it's not even just that they can help uh, by bringing power more reliably, it also can actually help bring a, a better sense of community, community pride, community connectivity, um, and, and really can, can make that community more resilient, also more sustainable. And the nice thing about some of these technologies are that even when the power is not out, you can still use them. So if, if you have a microgrid set up that has as part of it solar cells, for example, uh, you know, solar panels, well, you, you can do those solar panels even when the regular power grid isn't out to lower you, your utility bill. And so long-term, these kinds of systems actually can pay for themselves uh, at, while at the same time uh, making you more resilient to more uh, sustainable and, and more clean.
0: Right, right. The, the, the old uh, short-term investment for long-term payout. But, um, That's correct. But finally, what... What would you say the outlook is for Puerto Rico's immediate recovery? You know, how long um, if if you could give some um, approximation until power' is restored to, to most of the island?
1: Well, up until this past week, when the whitefish contract was cancelled, uh, the governor was talking about a, a somewhat ambitious goal of having ninety five percent of the customers back with power by the end of December. I think at this point, Uh, That goal, which was already very ambitious, uh, now would absolutely have to be pushed back because now they have to either re-engage a single provider in the place of Whitefish or maybe they'll go to multiple providers, uh, which is a a way to get better redundancy and and competition um, and and a a wider array of resources applied. So it remains to be seen what approach they'll take to the follow-up to the Whitefish contract. But even once they do that, that will be focused on the central generation capacity and the main transmission lines that lead from the central generators of power to the larger cities, uh, those high-voltage lines that you see in, in the papers with the tall towers. That's the transmission system. But beyond that, you have the local distribution system. And and while the, the generation and the transmission system could be uh, restored in large part, it's not 100%, but it could be restored in large part in the matter of, say, six months to a year to get to every single fingertip of every local distribution system, some of which the, the utility poles were already falling apart, corroded in the case of you know, uh, reinforcing steel in the concrete pole that you see in many of the uh, newspaper photos. Uh, to get to every fingertip of the local distribution system will take a very long time. And that's where some of these other technologies that can be applied very locally and in a decentralized fashion, what they call a distributed power approach rather than a centralized power approach, that's where these other ideas uh, could be very powerful where you're at further out on on the fingers of the distribution systems where they may not be seeing reconnect reconnection for a very long time
0: Mm -hmm. well thanks Tom Um, I appreciate all your time and and all the useful information I I know our readers and our listeners appreciate that And, and to everyone out there in podcast land thanks for tuning in